You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 127 of the Comic Book Informer podcast coming to you on June 11th. I'm Vince, along with Roger. How you doing today, man? No, I'm doing all right. It's a good time to be a gamer right now. That has nothing to do with this podcast, but it's just been a fun time the last couple of days. Oh, yeah. It's, it's always one of my favorite times of year. It, even, it, even if it's terrible, that makes it fun still. There, yeah, there's, there's just so much fun at E3 time. It's the same thing as when there's Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. It's just pure excitement and being... Really looking forward to the future, which is always That's the fun. Thing. To do. Yeah, that is. It is actually on a completely separate topic. Before we start in with the games, I was on your Tumblr today, and I saw the article or the little thing that blurb that you posted about Kelly Sue DeConnick, where she was talking about the people who think that she was only in the business because of her husband, and he brought her into Marvel kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you checked the Twitter, but I actually messaged yeah, her I saw this that. morning because I, I read that, and like I will. F- Freely admit, I always do. I know a hell of a lot less about the industry per se and the all the different people and how they got in it than, than you do. You keep up with that a lot more than I have, um, especially me being out of it for so many years. Out of reading comics, we'll <laughs> clarify. <laughs> um, but even I, I think it's important for her to know because the the loud idiots tend to make everybody look bad. And I think it's important to know that there's a, there's a lot of men too, not just, you know, women, but men as well, who wouldn't have thought that. And I know that I did not. I actually thought they met at Marvel and that's why they were together. At no point did I actually consider that he brought her in or on the flip side that she brought him in. And part of that is just seeing them as equal, but also part of it, like I said, is that I... As a writer, I can't, you know, rationalize, oh, they just brought somebody into Marvel to write for them. No, writing isn't a hobby that you could just bring somebody over and say, here, Marvel, <laughs> give them a job. Like, they have to prove that they can do this. And she has. Man, her resume speaks for itself. So, so yeah, I think it's important for, for her to know that there are a lot of people who still regard her as a force, a writing force for them, and certainly didn't think that she was handed the job because she was somebody's wife the internet makes me sad sometimes oh it certainly does it does it's just again it it bothers me when somebody has to um has to be aggressive in how they address an issue simply because of the loud idiots that are online and so that's why i think that it's important for us reasonably rational people to also give our opinions just as loudly and say, no, 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 no. They're not the only ones that, that represent us here. Trust me. We don't think that. And, uh, and like you said in your Tumblr thing too, like Christ, she is talented. Her work speaks for itself. It's a sad day when you and I are the voice of reason. It really? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, actually one little bit of uh, news I wanted to get to. Uh, last week I had talked about how uh, Marvel was working on a new you know, teaser for Mighty Avengers that was featuring you know, Luke Cage and Spider-Man having to defend Earth while the rest of the Avengers are off in space having a good, good old time. I said, that sounded like an interesting story. Well, we actually got the full reveal for it. And yes, it is the actual Mighty Avengers. It's actually an ongoing. Uh, it's not a miniseries like I initially thought. And the team consists of, like I said, Luke Cage and Spider-Man, as well as Falcon, 
White Tiger, Ronin, Spectrum, Blue Marvel, She-Hulk, the new Power Man. So who yeah, the hell are most of these people? Yeah, I'm going to get back to that in a second. Okay. But what's very interesting about this is you have Luke Cage, Falcon, Spectrum, who uh, is Monica Rambeau, the f- hero formerly known as Photon, formerly known as Captain Marvel. I uh, remember her. She had a brief cameo in the new Captain Marvel comic, as well as Blue Marvel are all African-American characters. Oh. You have three females with She-Hulk, Spectrum again, and White Tiger. White Tiger is Puerto Rican. And then Power Man, Victor Alvarez, is uh, half African-American, half Dominican. So this is about as diverse as a superhero team can possibly get. And this is on purpose. It must be. They're, they're, this, that kind of thing is not a coincidence. Sure. But it shows that, you know, they're listening to their – as Tom Brevoort said, you know, he's like, we didn't want to just, you know, throw together a group of minorities. This is like he said a couple of years ago. He didn't want to throw together a group of minorities just to do it. But in recent years, he's seen so much feedback from the fans that they really do want a group like this. So he said, fine, if this is what the fans want, this is what we'll give them, and we're more than happy to do it. Hmm. Well, I'm curious. That's for and sure. at this at this point, we don't know who is behind the Ronin mask because it was it's been worn by many people. Most recently, uh, Clint Barton, after he came back from the dead and before he became Hawkeye again. So it's entirely possible Spider Man might be the only white guy <laughs> on the team. <laughs> yeah, but an which awesome. is stark contrast to just about anywhere else. So, it's going to be Otto. Bravo though. to so you. That's Marvel. the thing. I want to see Otto with that group. That's that's going to just be <laughs> oh, freaking <man>. awesome. <laughs> Surrounded, but you got a couple kids with Alvarez and uh, White Tiger, and oh man, that's going to be hilarious. See, it's funny because when you first mentioned it, my first thought was Luke Cage and Otto butting heads, yeah. and I'm that's what I'm looking forward to. So slapping all these other people, yeah, this is going to be. It'll be fun to see him with that. And it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it because it's actually written by uh, Al Ewing, who I talked about a few weeks ago. He wrote the uh, Age of Ultron tie-in for Avengers Assemble. Right. And he's, a, he's a writer from England and hasn't done very much work at all over in the States. So they're giving you know, a new writer a chance on this. I'm so excited, really pumped. I mean the, the promo image they put out, uh, I forget who did the artwork for it. I think it was uh, Steve Epting, might have been Sean Phillips. I forget which one. And then they went, oh, okay, this looks great. And then they say, regular series artist, Greg Land. <laughs> there, there are not two words that will make me put the brakes on a comic I'm looking forward to worse than that. <laughs> oh, man. Right. So now I'm just sitting here looking at the picture going, okay, which one's going to be Emma Frost? Which one's going to be Steve Rogers? <laughs> Basically, yeah. She-Hulk is going to look like Pepper Potts, Emma Frost, all of them. <laughs> That's but still, you know, credit words. It's, it's good worth stu- Good stuff coming there. <laughs> God. Okay, so as for what we actually intended to talk about this week, continuing with a superhero uh, summer movie month here, this weekend actually marks the premiere of the new Man of Steel movie. And uh, reviews actually started allowing to be posted last night, which is a rarity in the movie world. And the vast majority of reviews have been very positive. So this is something I'm really looking forward to going to see this weekend myself. And this is the rare movie that is almost completely made from 
a, a specific comic storyline. You know, like we said, uh, Extremists last week took some elements of Extremists, and then they made Iron Man 3 out of that. But there are so many things. Now that I've read Superman Birthright here, um, I hadn't read it previously. I, I'd always heard it was great. But now that I've read it and like comparing it to the trailers of the movie, you can see they took so many elements directly from the comic. Like the, re- the director was sitting behind the camera with this in his lap. He had to be. So it was a miniseries that DC put out in 2003, written by Mark Wade, with art by Lennel Yu, Gary Allen Gielen, and Dave McCaig. And it was originally just supposed to be kind of a, a one-off miniseries. Uh, Mark Wade is the world's biggest Superman fan, so he'd always wanted to do Superman stuff. So DC said, fine, here, do, do a Superman story as a miniseries. So what Mark Wade wanted to do was kind of redo Superman's origin story, but in a way that, you know, if, it, if, like, if he had been able to create Superman, how he would have done it, taking various elements of the old school original stories, stuff from the uh, Christopher Reeves movies, and all the elements that he really loved about Superman and brought them all together into one miniseries. And DC actually ended up liking it so much, they went, you know what? That is now officially Superman's new, <laughs> new uh, okay. origin. Like they just retconned it straight in. That that's it. That's and it stayed as the continuity for I think like two years before they retconned everything again because it's DC. <laughs> and on that same thought, like that stuff like that is what led to Mark Wade leaving DC, and he was very very vocal when he left the company. Like he is now persona non grata in in, in DC to the point where any of his back issues don't show up in catalogs anywhere. They released a, a list on their website of the top 10 comics to read to get ready for Man of Steel. And Mark Wade replied to them on Twitter. He's like, wow, it's but not a bad list. Too bad you're missing the one the movie was actually based, based on. on. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the details, uh, what do you think of this? I think it's important to say right from the get-go that I'm not a huge Superman fan. I, I I've mean, gone on record many times yeah, saying that I, as well. I really am not. There's... Which isn't to say that it can't be well done, of course. And and this is one of those examples. Like, I was engaged throughout every single issue, and I did enjoy it. That said, there's, there's, there's too many times where that, the, 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 the biggest issue with this is always about the secret identity. Like, that's mm-hmm. always been the biggest thing. I can deal with the bullet things and being able to fly and all this. I, that's not a problem. It's that the rest of humanity is so completely stupid that they can't see the difference. And I, I see here where he tried to really explain that. Really spend a lot of time on this so that it makes sense and it's acceptable and, and, and such. You know, but it, it doesn't. And it never does. And there's no way that it ever can. So that to me is such a huge hurdle. And that's a lot of what this is. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's mm-hmm. enjoyable. I, I like it. But that one thing is always the thing that makes me groan and go, ah, you know, that's it's stupid and it bothers me. And I can't fully invest myself in the series because of something so completely stupid. I, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you there. The, it, it's beca- it's been around for now 75 years. This yeah. is the 75th anniversary of Superman. So I, it, it's to the point where they can't, even with the New 52, they couldn't mess with that because it, that would have been going too far. But I, I think that would 
legitimately be the right thing to do for the character is to change Clark Kent. Don't change Superman, change Clark Kent. I, I'd be all right with even changing Superman. If when they did the massive change in mm-hmm. the 52, I think that would have been the right time. But again, it's just, and, and I, I wouldn't even mention it. Well, I, I would, but I mean, make a big deal out of it. Had it not been made such a big deal of in the series, right. but it was, it was made into a huge, huge deal. And so then when you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, I, I see how you tried to make it with Luther where he wouldn't recognize him because he brainwashed himself into believing that nothing else big could come out of Smallville and all that. Sure. But you know what? When he's face to face with him, he will recognize him. And that goes for all of the other characters that come face to face with both of them. So this whole bit of making a huge deal about the acting books and the, all these other things, all you're doing is you're pointing to the biggest issue with the series. (laughs) You're saying, Hey, check this out. It, It actually makes sense. Check it out. I'm making it make sense, but you're still pointing a great big old honking finger at it. Mm -hmm. To the point I'm actually going to jump ahead uh, in my, what I was going to say here is when, and in any, you know, traditional superhero origin story, you always have, you know, the goofy little montage of them designing their costume. And Wade did a spin on that here where they didn't do the montage of, you know, all the different failed costumes trying out. Instead, it was them trying to dress up Clark, not mm-hmm. dressing up Superman. And yeah, it like you said, it's it's pointing out the biggest flaw with the Superman mythos. But I still liked that they drew attention to the fact that Superman isn't the costume. It, it really is Clark Kent that's the costume. Yeah. And that that's an aspect of the character I do enjoy. Now, whether it makes the believability of that or not is debatable, but I, I've, I've always, you know, taken the, uh, the Kill Bill approach of that Superman's always Superman. It's Clark Kent that's the disguise. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with that per se, but again, it was well done. He did a good job with it. It's just that... Uh, He did as good a job as you could do with something so obviously broken. All right. Well, jumping uh, back to the beginning of the story here, it started off very unexpectedly with uh, Clark, you know, fresh out of college, working as a freelance reporter and investigating this uh, tribal tension going on. And I I honestly forget which country in Africa. And we see a lot of the elements that would lead to Clark deciding to become Superman in this little story. Like I, at first, it was so out of place, but seeing it develop, I really appreciated it because it shows you know he's traveled the world, he's seen so many tribal traditions, not just in Africa. He says in Scotland and the Philippines and Native Americans, he's seen how certain iconography can really mean a lot to people. And at the same time, he's also learning about his Kryptonian heritage. Through images, he he can't decipher the text, but he can see you know the the rise of the Kryptonians, and this is something we've seen so many times in Superman lore of the S on his chest. They they always keep trying to explain it as something different, and frequently it's mentioned as you know the uh, the house crest from uh, the family Superman comes from. Well, Wade takes it a little bit further that it may have probably started as a house crest, but he became a more important symbol to all of Krypton, like a symbol of you know their struggle on this terrible planet they were born on (laughs) and and how they they pushed themselves and just kept becoming better and better people and eventually had this fantastic civilization before it all blew up so seeing what all this iconography and stuff can mean for all these different tribes around the world clark realizes that he can take that same iconography 
and then project that as Superman paying homage to his ancestors while at the same time setting an example for the, the people of his adopted home. I really enjoyed all of that. Not really. Okay. I, and, and for me, it was just because this concept that VS represents all of Krypton didn't make sense to me as a, um, a house logo, whatever you want to call it for the family kind of thing that I can get behind, even though again, the S makes no sense. But, I think it should have been more of a stylized S and not like an actual, yeah, you know, it's just a great big old S. Hat. <laughs> yeah, it's a serif it's <laughs> S, it's Times New Roman, but no, it's just, it's a big old hunk and S, so it makes no sense to represent Krypton, makes no sense to represent their house, and and especially the, the concept that it represents all Kryptonians as well made very little sense to me because again, you're, you're then you're thinking, okay, so then you mean that the entirety of that planet was completely unified in, in how they lived. There were no borders. There were no warring factions. There were no nothing. Every, it was a utopia and everybody, everybody on the planet was all right with being under this one big old honking ass. So, I actually preferred when it just meant Superman. I was much more okay, okay with that than this. Okay. Not that it was badly written or anything. It's just one of those, like another logistical point where I'm kind of picking at saying, well, I'm not quite happy with this. All right. Fair enough. But what you're saying about how he started off in Africa, it was in West Africa and stuff. Oh yeah. That was phenomenal. That was fantastic. And it, and it really was profound in how it, helped him decide that he should be making a difference and that Mm -hmm. he should be using his abilities to make differences, uh, not just, you know, in one place, but all over. When you look at this one man that was making such a difference um, and trying to get equality for his people. So, no, that was profound. That was very well done. Even going so far as to say that he had no intention of being a hero. Exactly. Yeah. He just wanted to be one guy doing what he could to, to, to help the people around him. And that that's a, a very cool thing. Like nobody, especially Superman, you know, so many other heroes have a tragedy that, you know, sets them off. Spider-Man, Batman, you know, and you name it. Whereas with Superman, it was always, you know, oh, he just had a good upbringing and decided he wanted to help people. Well, I, I, I like that they went a little farther into it. Yes, he had a good upbringing, but he also became a better person, you know, through his world travels. And, you know, he, he wasn't a citizen of Smallville or Metropolis. Like he really journeyed the earth and, you know, wanted to become a symbol for everyone, not just the people around him because he could. Yeah, I agree. So he finally gets into uh, Metropolis, gets his job at the Daily Planet. And that's all as normal as you would expect. All the stuff with Lois and Jimmy Olsen. I actually really like Jimmy Olsen in this. (laughs) In in as much as a person can Can, like Jimmy Olsen. (laughs) We are going to get so much hate mail for this episode. <laughs> you will. These two guys say they like comics, but they hate Superman. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> this is where we get the interactions with uh, Lex, where like his his first day in town, you know, things are running amok. He he traces the chaos back to Lex, trying to uh, worm his way into a better government contract, and this is where. He, you know, he obviously recognizes Lex from their brief uh, time together when they were younger and comes back as Clark Kent to uh, you know, interview him and stuff. And he's like, oh, hey, Lex, how you doing? 
and just stonewalls him. I I loved Lex in this miniseries yeah. as so deranged. Like he had, you know, a, a pretty on one hand, he had everything given to him on a silver platter. His parents were filthy rich. But on the other hand, it wasn't an easy life because he – they knew at a young age he had you know, a high IQ and had all this intelligence and pushed him to you know, be this fantastic scientist and everything he could be. So he just got so bitter about everything and just seeing his further descent and like really pulling himself away from humanity – not just the people around him, but just like all of people seeing he's like, I'm smarter than everybody around me. I'm better than everybody around me. I shouldn't have to deal with these people. I, I loved Lex. Lex is essentially Dr. Doom when he's well-written. So, I mean, there's no surprise there. That uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Dr. Doom's still the greatest. Well, again, when he's well-handled. <laughs> I mean, when you're looking at Lex in a variety of stories, um, hell, look at him in DC Universe Online, the game. And the, the the cinematics that you get there and all that, Lex is freaking insane. But you're getting a Lex that comes back from the future and trying to save it and stuff like that. It's freaking phenomenal. So when Lex is well-written, he has that potential, much like Doctor Doom, of just being an amazingly engaging character. And so that's what we're seeing here. He was just really well-written right from the ground up when he was younger as well as when he's older. There's still those semantics of not wanting to recognize um, Clark that I, you know, I've been around people who've shut things out and things like that. I know what that's like. But even then, I look at this and think, no. Honestly, how different is that, though, from what we were praising with uh, Scott Snyder and Batman? When, you know, Joker knew who Bruce Wayne was, he just refused to acknowledge it. Okay, well, then now you're trying to say that that Lex is on par with Joker in terms of just... In terms of being able to delude themselves, I I think in this one instance, yes. I don't think so. I would not put the two on par because Lex is too intelligent to be that way. So I just... Intelligence is not... (laughs) Does not preclude you from certain psychological issues. This is true, but I still would not put those two on par. In terms of the crazy bar, not even... Oh, no, not even remotely. I'm just saying on that one specific issue, I, I, I think it's an interesting parallel. Yeah. I don't see it. Okay. So, well, like I said, you know, Lex pulled himself away from everybody around him. Like he, he felt that the, you know, there was earth really held nothing for him. You know, he, he had figured everything out and he set his size out, his sight uh, outwards and really wanted to study space and look for other forms of life. And of course this leads him to finding, you know, a small meteorite of uh, kryptonite, which he discovers can, you know, open viewing portals to to other dimensions, not even other dimensions, but like allow him to view well, across space frames. actually. Hmm? It was across different time frames as well. Yeah. That's the important part. So this is where so much of uh, the technology that he's developed as part of LexCorp came from is seeing, you know, these other alien races and copying what they did. And as soon as he meets Superman, this allows him to pretty much immediately deduce that this guy ain't human. And he's obviously has to be from another planet. And the way he just lays it out right in front of Clark of like, oh, yeah, it's the gravity and, you know, the solar rays and this and that. And it was really interesting that. Clark was forced to write the newspaper article, basically basically outing himself as an alien. That that was that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I like that that Lex is so friggin' 
maniacal too that on his little hollow deck he's got this image already in there of superman getting dissected apart and he's yeah. playing that for clark that i loved i thought that was cool so with superman outed as an alien he now loses all the public trust that he's been building up as a hero and this is one thing that personally for me has been missing from so many superman stories is showing a vulnerability to the character and you know, while, while he's still physically virtually invulnerable, we, we see that he has to struggle for acceptance because he, he will never be one of us. And he tries so hard to, to make himself, you know, be this hero, this care, this person to look up to. But there's always going to be that difference. And that's the one little thing that makes Superman, you know, slightly relatable to people that this story did that so many others haven't. Yeah. And, and then it just gets crazy where kryptonite or kryptonite god kryptonian fleet shows up in orbit around earth you know lex says oh yeah i found them it's this huge plot from lex to basically completely discredit superman and allowing him to swoop in and uh, save the day at the last minute and this is like i said lex has certain delusions of grandeur and this is something that's always been there for lex that he didn't hate Superman. He didn't fear Superman. He was always jealous of Superman, that people always looked up to him when, you know, what, what has he done? Whereas Lex has accomplished all these things in his life and everybody still hates him. Well, maybe it's because you're a jerk, but <laughs> let's leave that aside. But that jealousy for Superman has always been one of the things I've liked about the character. And just seeing the links he went to in this story was ridiculous. See, what I found with with that in much the same way that um, the the confrontation between Clark and Lex when they're younger, it happened too fast. And it happened far too fast for a 12-part miniseries. Way too fast. Mm -hmm. Like 12 parts is a long time, but when you break it down to literally how many pages you have per month to convey different ideas, emotions, you name it, and story development and whatnot, there just was not enough development shown of Lex slowly going crazy when he was young and to the point where that was it and he took off there at the big explosion um, in much the same way that as an old, uh, as an adult, first meeting up with with Superman and whatnot, it went far too quickly. It went far too, it went bad far too quickly. And so, again, it's, it, there wasn't enough time in between it all that would then make sense to everything that, the, the lengths that he went to. Mm -hmm. So we get this great bit at the end with, Lex, you know, basically revealing everything to Superman that he's been using this, you know, kryptonite fragment to actually see Krypton uh, across time and space before it was destroyed, seeing their civilization. He knew more about Krypton than Clark did. And that that just, you know, was really tough for Clark to deal with. But then to the point where as they're fighting and the, the, the scenes keep playing out of Krypton and he actually sees his own parents, you know, sending him off on the ship before the planet's destroyed. And that last page where he was able to send a message back to his parents, letting him know that he was okay. That, that was, that well was really yeah, good. Was, that was very well done. Very <laughs> well done. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I, while this story definitely had its issues for both of us, those issues are more due to just – the, the concept of the character itself that we've said many times previously on the show, go back and listen. You have 126 episodes to find them where we we're just not Superman people, but with 
in the realm of the character that he was dealing with here, Mark Wade developed a phenomenal story. Oh yeah. Like my, my issues notwithstanding the main ones being of course the problem with Superman and then the problems with Lex in my opinion aren't because of bad writing or, or anything like that, but simply because he didn't have enough time to really convey it properly. So had this occurred over the span of, you know, 20 issues, 25, whatever, I think that it required much more time, especially because it was an origin story and because he has to convey so much from the start through to the end. So I think it needed more time. That's all that is. So that's, again, that's not a, a problem with the series per se for what it is. This was phenomenal. I can honestly say this is one of the best Superman stories I've ever read, without a doubt. Yeah, and, you know, that's Mark Wade for you. He wrote quite a few of the best DC character stories you'll ever read. And if you can find one of them, congratulations, it's now a collector's item. <laughs> Wait, he, he did phenomenal work. Phenomenal. Oh, that. Oh. Yeah. Oh, episode title. he did phenomenal work with the flash uh impulse Uh, i think he even did some stuff with uh, the legion that i i didn't hate which (laughs) so i mean yeah he he did a lot of great work for dc before you know he flew the coop and that's fine because now he's writing characters that i like even more (laughs) except daredevil don't like daredevil this is true sorry comics fans that's another one you can hang on us (laughs) Hang on. Right. As, as for what else we've been reading lately, uh, small little picks this week. Uh, Age of Ultron number nine came out, and this story is moving at such a glacial pace. But I loved the time travel stuff they did in this issue with the multiple Wolverines and, and the way they kind of had to deal with both Pym and then the own uh, temporal anomaly that they had created. Uh, the time travel stuff was fun. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. <laughs> And then also uh, Green Lantern, uh, issue 21 came out last week. Like I said, a new creative team picking up, you know, the ashes of what little Jeff Johns left behind. And uh, basically the uh, the Green Lanterns, the, the Guardians are gone now. So Hal is now the actual new leader of the Green Lanterns. <laughs> and I, I forget what the, the position is called, but Kilowog is now basically his secretary. So it, it's it's taking things in a new direction, doing something fresh with the character, which I greatly appreciate. And it actually looks like it could be uh, pretty fun going forward. Cool. All right. What do you got? Um, the the Avengers. Did you read the new stuff with the, the, uh, the actual Avengers? Yes. So where they're teaching the kids morality and different thing, and you have Otto teaching these little kids <laughs> not to trust people. I loved that storyline. <laughs> that- not not just Otto, but like the whole thing. You had uh, Hawkeye and Spider Woman, yeah, and you know Hyperion and Thor becoming best bro buddies. I I really enjoyed this. It's it, this this story has been really hard for me to really get behind, just because of some of it is way too high concept. But uh, but it, no, this was a great issue. Bring it back down to our level, Hickman. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Tone down the intellect. Um, and then ending with the high evolutionary. We were just talking about him not that long ago. So, but again, oh man, I just love Spider-Man so much right now. Slap him <laughs> anywhere. And Otto is so much friggin' fun. And you can tell that everybody's having fun with him right now. Cause Spider-Man is the new Wolverine. Yeah. 
Hickman is having fun with him here and, and it shows and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, speaking of Spider-Man avenging Spider-Man 21. Did you read that one? That was the, uh, the chameleon, chameleon one, right? One. Again, once again, slap him in with a bunch of other people. So slap him in here with a whole bunch of shield people and stuff like that. And trying to get things wrapped up. It was fun. It wasn't the best, but I still liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I especially liked the ending to it where you see that he's got his own way of subduing all of the super villains. Yeah. It was like, holy crap. Yes. Otto, <laughs> you rule. I love you. You magnificent. You are bastard. superior. You indeed you are. You've won me over. There it is. And what else? Oh, and I made the mistake of reading a plus X. One of these, you know, why? Cause every once in a while, there's a little mini story that isn't absolutely horrible. It, it has to at least be as good as the one where Mr. Sinister was using cloned Cyclops eyeballs in his shotgun. Yeah, this was bad. <laughs> this was freaking terrible. I have to stop reading these. It's just I keep thinking, <laughs> well, I didn't even finish it. it. It was that bad. I was like, nope, not finishing this. The Daredevil, the, the, or sorry, the Deadpool stuff at the end, I stopped. Like it was, I read a couple of panels. Not only did you pick nope. up an A plus X, you picked up an A plus X with Deadpool yeah, in it. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's it's my fault. It's my own fault. I should know better. It's terrible <laughs> stuff, people. Don't read it. That's it. So you, you didn't even bring up the, the actual latest Superior Spider-Man? No, I didn't read that one yet. I haven't. Oh. But I haven't read it. oh, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Okay. All right. Well, as for this week's new releases then, from Marvel, we have the finale of Alpha Big Time with issue number five, Astonishing X-Men number 63, which I'd honestly forgotten about. I was like, oh, man, normally I overlook Astonishing X-Men because I wasn't that into it. Then I remember, wait, no, 62 is actually pretty cool. (laughs) We have Avengers Assembled number 16, part two of War Within, the crossover with Captain Marvel. Avenging Spider-Man number 22, co-starring The Punisher. Guardians of the Galaxy number three. Savage Wolverine number six which I'm going to come back to in a second. Thor, God of Thunder, number nine. Ultimate X-Men, number 27. Uncanny X-Force, number six. Venom, number 36. And Wolverine and the X-Men, number 31. Oh, I read the new new, um, Cable and X-Force, too. Did you read that one? With I still love that comic. It was a little... The, the, the Hope one was... was, was, yeah. was If you look, it actually had a, a fill-in writer, though, so... Yeah. There, there's some something going on there. But anyway, as for a Savage Wolverine, they're basically treating that like Avenging Spider-Man at this point where they're just bringing in different creative teams. So issues six, seven, and I think eight are uh, written by Zeb Wells and drawn by Joe Madrera, hmm. which if you remember, did the first several issues of Avenging Spider-Man. So I will probably check yeah, those we'll out. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. As for DC, they actually have a pretty solid lineup this week, if you ask me. We have issues 21 for Batgirl, Batman, Demon Knights, Green Lantern Core, which again, uh, all new creative team on all of the new uh, Green Lantern stuff, Nightwing and Suicide Squad. We also have issue four for Constantine and issue one for the brand new Superman Unchained from Scott Snyder and yeah. Jim Lee. Yeah. Expect issue two in what, three months? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it can't be as bad as the, the Superman Batman. They've already delayed that twice. Jesus. I love Jai Lee, but come on, man. <laughs> Timelines. And uh, from everybody else, uh, Dark Horse brings us Star Wars number six and Image. We have issue two for Aphrodite nine and Dream Merchant, both of which you said were pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manhattan Projects number 12 and Walking Dead number 111. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. 